Chapter twenty three of Eighty Years and More Reminiscences, eighteen fifteen to eighteen ninety seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in November two thousand and ten. Eighty Years and More Reminiscences. 1815 to 1897 by elizabeth cady stanton chapter 23 women and theology returning from europe in the autumn of 1883 after visiting a large circle of relatives and friends i spent six weeks with my cousin elizabeth smith miller at her home at geneva on seneca lake through miss frances lord a woman of rare culture and research my daughter and i had become interested in the school of theosophy and read isis unveiled by madame blavatsky sinnet's works on the occult world and the perfect way by anna kingsford full of these ideas i soon interested my cousins in the subject and we resolved to explore as far as possible some of these eastern mysteries of which we had heard so much we looked in all directions to find some pilot to start us on the right course we heard that gerald massey was in new york city lecturing on the devil ghosts and evil spirits generally so we invited him to visit us and give a course of lectures in geneva but unfortunately he was ill and could not open new fields of thoughts to us at that time though we were very desirous to get a glimpse into the unknown world and hold converse with the immortals as i soon left geneva with my daughter mrs stanton lawrence our occult studies were for a time abandoned my daughter and i often talked of writing a story she describing the characters and their environments and i attending to the philosophy and soliloquies as i had no special duties in prospect we decided that this was the time to make our experiment accordingly we hastened to the family homestead at johnstown new york where we could be entirely alone friends on all sides wondered what had brought us there in the depth of the winter but we kept our secret and set ourselves to work with diligence and after three months our story was finished to our entire satisfaction we felt sure that everyone who read it would be deeply interested and that we should readily find a publisher we thought of our romance the first thing in the morning and talked of it the last thing at night but alas friendly critics who read our story pointed out its defects and in due time we reached their conclusions and the unpublished manuscript now rests in a pigeonhole of my desk we had not many days to mourn our disappointment as madge was summoned to her western home and miss anthony arrived armed and equipped with bushels of documents for volume three of the history of woman suffrage the summer and autumn of eighteen eighty four miss anthony and i passed at johnstown working diligently on the history indulging only in an occasional drive a stroll round the town in the evening or a ride in the open street cars mrs devereux blake was holding a series of conventions at this time through the state of new york and we urged her to expend some of her missionary efforts in my native town which she did with good results 
as the school election was near at hand miss anthony and i had several preliminary meetings to arouse the women to their duty as voters and to the necessity of nominating some woman for trustee when the day of the election arrived the large upper room of the academy was filled with ladies and gentlemen some timid souls who should have been there stayed at home fearing there would be a row but everything was conducted with decency and in order the chairman mr rosa welcomed the ladies to their new duties in a very complimentary manner donald mcmartin stated the law as to what persons were eligible to vote in school elections mrs horace smith filled the office of teller on the occasion with promptness and dignity and mrs elizabeth wallace yost was elected trustee by a majority of seven it is strange that intelligent women who are supposed to feel some interest in the question of education should be so indifferent to the power they possess to make our schools all that they should be this was the year of the presidential campaign the republicans and democrats had each held their nominating conventions and all classes participated in the general excitement there being great dissatisfaction in the republican ranks we issued a manifesto stand by the republican party not that we loved blaine more but cleveland less the letter was elected therefore it was evident that our efforts did not have much influence in turning the tide of national politics though the republican papers gave a broad circulation to our appeal dowden's description of the poet shelley's efforts in scattering one of his suppressed pamphlets reminded me of ours he purchased bushels of empty bottles in which he placed his pamphlets having corked them up tight he threw the bottles into the sea at various fashionably watering places hoping they would wash ashore walking the streets of london in the evening he would slip his pamphlets into the hoods of old ladies cloaks throw them in shop doors and leave them in cabs and omnibuses we scattered ours in the cars enclosed them in every letter we wrote or newspaper we sent through the country the night before election mr stanton and professor horace smith spoke in the johnstown courthouse and took rather pessimistic views of the future of the republic should james g blaine be defeated cleveland was elected and we still live as a nation and are able to digest the thousands of foreign immigrants daily landing at our shores the night of the election a large party of us sat up until two o'clock to hear the news mr stanton had long been one of the editorial writers on the new york sun and they sent him telegrams from that office until a late hour however the election was so close that we were kept in suspense several days before it was definitely decided miss anthony left in december eighteen eighty four for washington and i went to work on an article for the north american review entitled what has christianity done for women i took the ground that woman was not indebted to any form of religion for the liberty she now enjoys but that on the contrary the religious element in her nature had always been perverted for her complete subjection bishop spaulding in the same issue of the review took the opposite ground but i did not feel that he answered my points in january eighteen eighty five my niece mrs baldwin and i went to washington to attend the annual convention of the national woman suffrage association 
it was held in the unitarian church on the twentieth twenty-first and twenty-second days of that month and went off with great success as did the usual reception given by mrs spofford at the riggs house this dear friend one of our most urgent coadjutors always made the annual convention a time for many social enjoyments the main feature in this convention was the attempt to pass the following resolutions whereas the dogmas incorporated in religious creeds derived from judaism teaching that woman was an afterthought in the creation her sex a misfortune marriage a condition of subordination and maternity a curse are contrary to the law of god as revealed in nature and to the precepts of christ and whereas these dogmas are an insidious poison sapping the vitality of our civilization blighting woman and through her paralyzing humanity therefore be it resolved that we call on the christian ministry as leaders of thought to teach and enforce the fundamental idea of creation that man was made in the image of god male and female and given equal rights over the earth but none over each other and furthermore we ask their recognition of the scriptural declaration that in the christian religion there is neither male nor female bond nor free but all are one in christ jesus as chairman of the committee i presented a series of resolutions impeaching the christian theology as well as all other forms of religion for their degrading teachings in regard to woman which the majority of the committee thought too strong and pointed and after much deliberation they substituted the above handing over to the jews what i had laid at the door of the christians they thought they had so sugar-coated my ideas that the resolutions would pass without discussion but some jews in the convention promptly repudiated this impression of their faith and precipitated the very discussion i desired but which our more politic friends would fain have avoided from the time of the decade meeting in rochester in eighteen seventy eight matilda jocelyn gage edward m davis and i had sedulously labored to rouse women to a realization of their degraded position in the church and presented resolutions at every annual convention for that purpose but they were either suppressed or so amended as to be meaningless the resolutions of the annual convention of eighteen eighty five tame as they are got into print and roused the ire of the clergy and upon the following sunday dr patton of howard university preached a sermon on woman and scepticism in which he unequivocally took the ground that freedom for woman led to scepticism and immorality he illustrated his position by pointing to hypatia mary wollstonecraft francis wright george eliot harriet martineau madame roland francis power cobb and victoria woodhull he made a grave mistake in the last names mentioned as mrs woodhull was a devout believer in the christian religion and surely any one conversant with miss cobb's writings would never accuse her of scepticism his sermon was received with intense indignation even by the women of his own congregation when he found what a whirlwind he had started he tried to shift his position and explain away much that he had said we asked him to let us have the sermon for publication that we might not do him injustice 
but as he contradicted himself flatly in trying to restate his discourse and refused to let us see his sermon those who heard him were disgusted with his sophistry and tergiversation however our labours in this direction are having an effect women are now making their attacks on the church all along the line they are demanding their right to be ordained as ministers elders deacons and to be received as delegates in all the ecclesiastical convocations at last they ask of the church just what they have asked of the state for the last half century perfect equality and the clergy as a body are quite as hostile to their demands as the statesmen on my way back to johnstown i spent ten days at troy where i preached in the unitarian church on sunday evening during this visit we had two hearings in the capital at albany one in the senate chamber and one in the assembly before the committee on grievances on both occasions mrs mary seymour howell mrs devereux blake mrs caroline gilkey rogers and i addressed the committee being open to the public the chamber was crowded it was nearly forty years since i had made my first appeal in the old capital at albany my reflections were sad and discouraging as i sat there and listened to the speakers and remembered how long we had made our appeals at that bar from year to year in vain the members of the committee presented the same calm aspect as their predecessors as if to say be patient dear sisters eternity is before us this is simply a question of time what may not come in your day future generations will surely possess it is always pleasant to know that our descendants are to enjoy life liberty and happiness but when one is gasping for one breath of freedom this reflection is not satisfying returning to my native hills i found the lenten season had fairly set in which i always dreaded on account of the solemn tolling bell the episcopal church being just opposite our residence on sunday we had the bells of six churches all going at the same time it is strange how long customs continue after the original object has ceased to exist at an early day when the country was sparsely settled and the people lived at great distances bells were useful to call them together when there was to be a church service but now when the church are always open on sunday and every congregation knows the hour of services and all have clocks bells are not only useless but they are a terrible nuisance to invalids and nervous people if i am ever so fortunate as to be elected a member of a town council my first efforts will be toward the suppression of bells to encourage one of my sex in the trying profession of book agent i purchased about this time dr lord's beacon lights of history and read the last volume devoted to women pagan and christian saints and sinners it is very amusing to see the author's intellectual wriggling and twisting to show that no one can be good or happy without believing in the christian religion in describing great women who are not christians he attributes all their follies and miseries to that fact in describing pagan women possessed of great virtues he attributes all their virtues to nature's gifts which enable them to rise superior to superstitions after dwelling on the dreary existence of those not of christian faith 
he forthwith pictures his saint teresa going through twenty years of doubts and fears about the salvation of her soul the happiest people i have known have been those who gave themselves no concern about their own souls but did their uttermost to mitigate the miseries of others in may eighteen eighty five we left johnstown and took possession of our house at tenafly new jersey it seemed very pleasant after wandering in the old world and the new to be in my own home once more surrounded by the grand trees i so dearly loved to see the gorgeous sunsets the twinkling fireflies to hear the whip-poor-wills call their familiar note while the june-bugs and the mosquitoes buzz outside the nets through which they cannot enter many people complain of the mosquito in new jersey when he can so easily be shut out of the family circle by nets over all the doors and windows i had a long piazza encased in netting where pater familias with his pipe could muse and gaze at the stars unmolested june brought miss anthony and a box of fresh documents for another season of work on volume three of our history we had a flying visit from miss eddy of providence daughter of miss eddy who gave fifty thousand dollars to the woman's suffrage movement and the granddaughter of francis jackson of boston who also left a generous bequest to our reform we found miss eddy a charming young woman with artistic tastes she showed us several pen sketches she had made of some our reformers that were admirable likenesses mr stanton's random recollections were published at this time and were well received a dinner was given him on his eightieth birthday june twenty seventh eighteen eighty five by the press club of new york city with speeches and toasts by his lifelong friends as no ladies were invited i can only judge from the reports in the daily papers and what i could glean from the honored guest himself that it was a very interesting occasion sitting in the summer-house one day i witnessed a most amusing scene two of the boys in search of employment broke up a hornet's nest bruno our large st bernard dog seeing them jumping about thought he would join in the fun the boys tried to drive him away knowing that the hornets would get in his long hair but bruno's curiosity outran his caution and he plunged into the midst of the swarm and was soon completely covered the buzzing and stinging soon sent the poor dog howling on the run he rushed as usual in his distress to amelia in the kitchen where she and the girls were making preserves and ironing when they saw the hornets they dropped irons spoons jars everything and rushed out of doors screaming i appreciated the danger in time to get safely into the house before bruno came to me for aid and comfort at last they played the hose on him until he found some relief the maidens armed with towels thrashed right and left and the boys with evergreen branches fought bravely i had often heard of stirring up a hornet's nest but i had never before seen a practical demonstration of its danger for days after if bruno heard anything buzz he would rush for the house at the top of his speed but in spite of these occasional lively episodes volume three went steadily on my suffrage sons and daughters all through the northern and western states decided to celebrate on the twelfth of november eighteen eighty five 
my seventeenth birthday by holding meetings or sending me gifts and congratulations this honour was suggested by mrs elizabeth boynton harbert in the new era a paper she was editing at that time the suggestion met with a ready response i was invited to deliver an essay on the pleasures of age before the suffrage association in new york city it took me a week to think them up but with the inspiration of longfellow's morituri salutamus i was almost converted to the idea that we old folks had the best of it the day was ushered in with telegrams letters and express packages which continued to arrive during the week from england france and germany came cablegrams presents and letters of congratulation and from all the quarters came books pictures silver bronzes california blankets and baskets of fruits and flowers the eulogies in prose and verse were so hearty and numerous that the ridicule and criticism of forty years were buried so deep that i shall remember them no more there is no class who enjoy the praise of their fellow-men like those who have had only blame most of their lives the evening of the twelfth we had a delightful reunion at the home of dr clemens lozier where i gave my essay after which mrs lozier mrs blake miss anthony jenny june and some of the younger converts to our platform all made short speeches of praise and congratulation which were followed by music recitations and refreshments all during the autumn miss anthony and i looked forward to the spring when we hoped to have completed the third and last volume of our history and thus end the labours of ten years we had neither time nor eyesight to read aught but the imperative documents for the history i was hungering for some other mental pabulum in january eighteen eighty six i was invited to dine with laura curtis bullard to meet madame durand henri greville the novelist she seemed a politic rather than an earnest woman of principle as it was often very inconvenient for me to entertain distinguished visitors who desired to meet me in my country home during the winter mrs bullard generously offered always to invite them to her home she and her good mother have done their part in the reform movements in new york by their generous hospitalities reading the debates in congress at that time on a proposed approbation for a monument to general grant I was glad to see that Senator Plumb of Kansas was brave enough to express his opinion against it. I fully agree with him. So long as multitudes of our people who are doing the work of the world live in garrets and cellars, in ignorance, poverty and vice, it is the duty of Congress to apply the surplus in the national treasury to objects which will feed, clothe, shelter and educate these wards of the state if we must keep on continually building monuments to great men they should be handsome blocks of comfortable homes for the poor such as peabody built in london senator hoare of massachusetts favoured the grand monument partly to cultivate the artistic tastes of our people we might as well cultivate our tastes on useful dwellings as on useless monuments surely sanitary homes and schoolhouses for the living would be more appropriate monuments to wise statement than the purest parian shafts among the sepulchres of the dead 
the strikes and mobs and settled discontent of the masses warn us that although we forget and neglect their interests and our duties we do it at the peril of all english statesmen are at their wits end to-day with their tangled social and industrial problems threatening the throne of a long line of kings the impending danger cannot be averted by any surface measures there must be a radical change in the relations of capital and labor in april rumors of a domestic invasion wafted on every atlantic breeze warned us that our children were coming from england and france a party of six fortunately the last line of the history was written so miss anthony with volume three and bushels of manuscripts fled to the peaceful home of her sister mary at rochester the expected party sailed from liverpool the twenty sixth of may on the america after being out three days the piston-rod broke and they were obliged to return my son-in-law w h blanche was so seasick and disgusted that he remained in england and took a fresh start two months later and had a swift passage without any accidents the rest were transferred to the germanic and reached new york the twelfth of june different divisions of the party were arriving until midnight five people and twenty pieces of baggage the confusion of such an invasion quite upset the even tenor of our days and it took some time for people and trunks to find their respective niches however crowded elsewhere there was plenty of room in our hearts and we were unspeakably happy to have our flock all around us once more i had long heard so many conflicting opinions about the bible some saying it taught woman's emancipation and some her subjection that during this visit of my children the thought came to me that it would be well to collect every biblical reference to women in one small compact volume and see on which side the balance of influence really was to this end i proposed to organize a committee of competent women with some latin greek and hebrew scholars in england and the united states for a thorough revision of the old and new testaments and to ascertain what the status of woman really was under the jewish and christian religion as the church has thus far interpreted the bible as teaching woman's subjection and none of the revisions by learned ecclesiastics have thrown any new light on the question it seemed to me pre-eminently proper and timely for women themselves to review the book as they are now studying theology in many institutes of learning asking to be ordained as preachers elders deacons and to be admitted as delegates to synods and general assemblies and are refused on bible grounds it seemed to me high time for women to consider those scriptural arguments and authorities a happy coincidence enabled me at last to begin this work while my daughter mrs stanton blanche was with me our friend miss frances lord on our earnest invitation came to america to visit us she landed in new york the fourth of august eighteen eighty six as it was sunday she could not telegraph hence there was no one to meet her and as we all sat chatting on the front piazza suddenly to our surprise and delight she drove up after a few days rest and general talk of passing events 
I laid the subject so near my heart before her and my daughter. They responded promptly and heartily, and we immediately set to work. I wrote to every woman who I thought might join such a committee, and Miss Lord ran through the Bible in a few days, marking each chapter that in any way referred to women. We found that the work would not be so great as we imagined, as all the facts and teachings in regard to women occupied less than one-tenth of the whole scriptures. We purchased some cheap Bibles, cut out the texts, pasted them at the head of the page, and underneath wrote our commentaries as clearly and concisely as possible. We did not intend to have sermons or essays, but brief comments to keep the woman's Bible as small as possible. Miss Lord and I worked several weeks together, and Mrs. Blatch and I, during the winter of 1887, wrote all our commentaries on the Pentateuch. But we could not success in forming the committee, nor, after writing innumerable letters, make the women understand what we wanted to do. I still have the commentaries of the few who responded, and the letters of those who declined, a most varied and amusing bundle of manuscripts in themselves. Some said the Bible had no special authority with them, that, like the American Constitution, it could be interpreted to mean anything, slavery when we protected that institution, and freedom when it existed no longer. Others said that woman's sphere was clearly marked out in the scriptures, and all attempt at emancipation was flying in the face of providence. Others said they considered all the revisions made by men thus far had been so many acts of sacrilege, and they did hope women would not add their influence to weaken the faith of the people in the divine origin of the holy book, for if men and women could change it in one particular, they could in all. On the whole the correspondence was discouraging. Later Miss Lord became deeply interested in psychical researches, and I could get no more work out of her. And as soon as we had finished the Pentateuch, Mrs. Blatch declared she would go no further, that it was the driest history she had ever read, and most derogatory to women. My beloved coadjutor, Susan B. Anthony, said that she thought it a work of supererogation, that when our political equality was recognized and we became full-fledged American citizens, the church would make haste to bring her Bibles and prayer books, creeds and discipline, up to the same high-water mark of liberty. Helen Gardiner said, quote, I consider this a most important proposal, and if you and I can ever stay on the same side of the Atlantic long enough, we will join hands and do the work. In fact, I have begun already with Paul's epistles, and I am fascinated with the work. The untenable and unscientific positions he takes in regard to women are very amusing. Although the first chapter of Genesis teaches the simultaneous creation of man and woman, Paul bases woman's subjection on the priority of man, and because woman was of the man. As the historical fact is that, as far back as history dates, the man has been of the woman, should he therefore be forever in bondage to her? Logically, according to Paul, he should. End quote. I consulted several friends, such as Dr. William F. Channing, Mr. and Mrs. Moncure D. Conway, 
Gertrude Garrison, Frederick Cabot, and Edward M. Davis as to the advisability of the work, and they all agreed that such a volume, showing woman's position under the Jewish and Christian religions, would be valuable, but none of them had time to assist in the project. Though, owing to all these discouragements, I discontinued my work, I never gave up the hope of renewing it sometime, when other of my coadjutors should awake to its importance and offer their services. On October 27, 1886, with my daughter, nurse, and grandchild, I again sailed for England. Going out of the harbour in the clear early morning, we had a fine view of Bartholdi's Statue of Liberty enlightening the world. We had a warm, gentle rain and a smooth sea most of the way, and as we had a stateroom on deck, we could have the portholes open, and thus get all the air we desired. With novels and letters, chess and whist, the time passed pleasantly, and on the ninth day we landed in Liverpool. End of chapter 23